The Barwon Heads Football and Netball Club and the Beach House at Barwon Heads are very proud to bring you Episode 13, Part 1 of The Tree on the Wing. There are few more intimidating places for a country footballer to play an away game than in front of the hill at Howard Harmer Oval. The noise that the crowd up there can generate, not to mention the gratuitous advice that they share with opposition players and umpires alike, is enough to make even the most confident and competent visitor doubt their ability. And if you give them even the slightest inkling that they are in your head, then your day is going to be a very long one indeed. An important part of the fabric of the hill are two ex-players who have given decades of service to the Seagulls both on and off the field. Known for their loud but generally polite interactions with the participants of the game and their often witty, sometimes childish but always entertaining banter, Scott Carpenter and Adam Fry are worth the admission to the game just to see what they will come up with next. Fryzy is a 1993 Premiership player with a Royal Bloodline at the Bowenheads Footy Club, and he has coached juniors and girls football, as well as umpiring the reserves for many seasons. While Carpo is a stalwart who shook off the disappointment of missing selection for the 1993 Grand Final to work tirelessly as a committeeman and play many seasons with the club and earn himself a life membership. We caught up with them via a Zoom session, and they shared their memories of their playing days, their love of the club, and of being on the hill, cheering on the boys and girls in the middle. We've never done an episode with two people before, so it was a long chat and we have broken it into two parts. The Zoom link was okay, but there were a couple of dropouts, especially for Carpo. But you'll get the gist of most of what he's saying. We hope that you'll enjoy part one of Carpo and Fryzen. G'day everybody and welcome to the Tree on the Wing, I am Teddy Donnell and I am joined tonight via Zoom by the man who was once described as the second ugliest bloke in the Ballerine Football League and I'll get him to tell you who the ugliest bloke was and why, if you can remember it, Russell Nipper Highland. How are you Nip? I'm well Teddy, thank you very much and I, I won't mention the name Adrian Buckley because he's a very good friend of mine and I get on famously with Bucko but I think he was referred to as once having his face on inside out. No, he, he was referred to as looking like Russell Highland with his face on inside out. <laughs> yes, no, good, good fella, Bucko. That may or may not be true because that's a story Krogs told us So back yeah, in the well, day. that probably would have been late at night, no doubt. <laughs> I'm well, Teddy, and um, I've finished that dry July. I've been out in the rain. I was on it all weekend. I mean, in it all weekend. Yeah. And, and Russell, we don't want to give away the date, but we will today because it's a special day. Whose birthday is it today, Nip? Three people that uh, made huge impacts on the world. The first one is Sir Donald Bradman. That's the one I was, was thinking of. Uh, Mother Teresa was also born on this day. Yes, her average was a bit lower than his. And probably one of the most famous mothers in the Bowen Heads area, my mum. Your mum. There you go. Her birthday today. She would have been 84 if she was still with us. Oh, but, there you uh, go. Happy 
Dawn up there. Well, I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't know that, but there you go. I just led you into that question because of the Bradman thing. But I, well done. We are joined tonight by two fellas who will be known to all of the Bowenheads people, certainly the supporters, and probably most of the players, and certainly a lot of players from other clubs. Although they won't know who they are, they won't know their names, but they'll be aware of them. And I've been really looking forward to this episode for quite a while. Uh, these two blokes are very good company for one and for many people up on the hill. And that's not their only thing. Uh, one of them is a life member. The other one is the son and the grandson of life members. Uh, both Alan's parents were life members, aren't they, Nick? I think so, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, uh, royalty, royalty family. Oh, absolutely. That Absolute royalty. You know what I reckon the best I reckon the best description of these two blokes, Teddy? A Waldorf and Stadler. Waldorf and Stadler was exactly what I was thinking of. Yes. The two old elderly gentlemen that sit up in the uh, box at the uh, in the Muppets and heckle not only the people around them but each other. Waldorf and Stadler. Yep. I don't know which one's which. They but... heckle both fen- friend and foe. They do. But especially foe. And we'll, t- we'll talk about that later because it's, a, it's one of my great delights on a Saturday afternoon is to hear from one of these blokes as to who he's chosen for the day, who his chosen one is. And we'll, we'll speak to him about how he does that process. But I suppose we should say who they are. And these guys both played a fair bit of footy and a fair bit with us and a fair bit after us too, Nip. They a bit younger than, a bit younger than us. We played with with one of their fathers, so uh, we sort of sit in between them. Their names are Adam Fry and Scott Carpenter, better known as Fryzy and Carpo. G'day, fellas. How you going? Teddy, Nip. How you going, mate? How you going, boys? Have a good night. Good day, fellas. Very good. Oh, Carpo, you're unstable, mate. Oh, yes. My internet connection is unstable, but we'll get through. Oh, you went fast then. This is going to be fantastic. I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I hope you don't mind the comment about uh, Waldorf and Stadler. I hope you even know who they are. You might not even be old enough to know who Waldorf and Stadler are. No, no, I'm well old enough to be able to remember the Muppets, mate. I still love the show. Yeah, Watch no. Well, Waldorf, <laughs> Waldorf and Stadler didn't like the show. That was the that was the joke. That's right. Uh, now, go away. Don't tell them to go away. We haven't told them why we're here. Why are we here? Probably to suffer through another Muppet performance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it in alphabetical order. So, and we'll start with surnames, not Christian names. So, Carpenter comes before Fry. So, Carpo, I'll get you to run through your icebreaker with us. Your two truths and a lie, please. Well, obviously, we can't do them in uh, the way they're meant to be. So, I'll throw three things out there, and uh, no, you've got to choose which one is going to go for it right now. I once called on a field count because we were getting flogged. And we ended up having one extra player on the field. Number two, the first time I met my beautiful wife, Ez, at the BHP, she introduced herself with a headbutt. And number three, Geelong great Peter Riccardi once kicked five goals on me in a Geelong Junior Development Squad tryout match. Wow. Yeah. There's some good ones there. I might just give Rick Allen a ball and... Um... See how much truth in that one. He probably wouldn't remember it was that long ago, maybe. If it's a lie or a truth, who knows? Yeah. He kicked five goals on that many blokes as, as if he'd remember you. Yes. 
And Fryzy, we'll go with yours. Okay, so my two truths and a lie is, first one, I once played one entire season for Ocean Grove. Um, second one is I won three best and fairest in under-18s. And the third one is I never played with any of my cousins. Right. Now, you mean played footy, don't you? Prizey, because we yeah we, ne- yeah never play here. Yeah, yeah. We know you're a close let, family. Let, let, let's make <laughs> let's make that clear. Oh, that might be a truth now then. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, I, <laughs> I, I doubt that. Yeah. Hang on, I'll, I'll just cross that one out. <laughs> <laughs> never no, I never played. Cousins. I never played football with any of my cousins. Oh, right. Okay. All right. We haven't done two at a time before, Nipper, so this is a bit... This I know, is, it's, this is it's all new ground. It's groundbreaking. I'm just following your lead. Oh, fantastic. I, was, I threw that out there so you can help me. <laughs> I think I think what the question we always ask blokes is, the first, it's always the first question, and it always takes us wherever we're going to go, and it's always, how did you end up at the Barwonheads Footy Club? Now, I don't think it's a fair question to ask Adam right off the bat because it's fairly obvious he where... He probably doesn't know it. He probably no. doesn't know. And, and we probably know more about it than he does. We we probably remember it and he doesn't. So we'll, we'll go we'll straight to you, Carpo. You started your footy at Bell Park? Yes, at Bell Park. Yep, so, yep that's right. Yep, and we'll we'll go through that in a, in a bit more depth in a minute. But how did you yep. end up at Bowen Heads? Um, basically, I ended up at Bowen Heads through a mate of mine. I went to school with and played at Bell Park with Warren Martin who uh, was obviously an Ocean Grove champion and went on to win I was just about to say that. Yeah, well, we started going to the Bowen Heads pub a little bit because his mum had a, a house down in Ocean Grove. And, uh, yes, it uh, sort of all snowballed from there. I met a few people. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, it was an interesting crowd, something I hadn't experienced before, very friendly. Um one sort of, well, he refers to himself as a legendary full forward. Duncan Smith might have had something to do with it. Oh, no. It's very interesting times. No, it was fun. So that was my sort of um, pathway there. And what was your Nipper, first year at Bowen Heads, Carpo? 1993, Nipper. Oh, 93 was your first year. Oh, no. Yeah. That's a pretty good year, that. Was for most of the 1993 squad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, here we go. It's on now. Talk amongst yourselves for a while. <laughs> we had nothing to do with that. One of us four blokes was on the selection committee, and it wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, wasn't me. I was too young for that. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll go through it if you want to, but I don't really want to. It was, no, no, that's so, fine, mate. I've got no drama. You don't, you don't have premierships unless you have sad stories, and unfortunately, Carpo's is not, not the happy one. Hey, I'll tell you what. There's three very influential people in the club two life members and one rather influential at the present time that I'm pretty sure all played in 93 but didn't get a game in the in either grand final team. Carpo's won, obviously. Brendan Bryce. Bryce, yep. he played that year and not get a game? Yeah, he missed the grand final. Yep. So both you guys became life members. And the other one's the current president, Tim Goddard, who put the orange shirt on, became the runner. That's an amazing little thing that three people that missed out on playing in a reserves grand final went on to, you know, two of them become life members and one of them become president of the club. Testimony to you, Scarpo and Bricey and um, and Gotter. Oh, Nip, I reckon that's part of the, the club and, and what it is, is guys like that 
that, you know, these things happen and they just let it go and their love of the club just makes them move on. And, you know, I mean, Carpo went from that and then did everything around the club for the next 10 years and earned himself a life membership. And that, you know, yeah. says a whole lot about, you know, the person and the personality, you know, of a bike. Yeah, no, thanks for that. I don't know. It's, it's, um, it was. It was. I couldn't believe when I first came to the club. It was so relaxed. Everyone was so friendly. The footy was at a really high standard. But it was just, I don't know, it seemed, it seemed just so much more fun. And, you know, that's why we all played footy back in the day. So Helps yeah. when you're winning too, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a few years later on, <laughs> that sort of didn't happen for a while. But, yeah, no, I've loved every minute of it. One of the things about 1993 was that, and the couple of years before was that all of a sudden it became a place where people wanted to play footy. And so blokes who came along who were good enough to get games and make us a better footy club actually wanted to be there. Nothing against any of the blokes we played with Nipper, but a lot of those guys wouldn't have got games in that 93 season. And In fact, really the, the senior team from the four or five years previous to that was made up the, the bulk of the, um, of the reserves premiership team, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's right. It was, um, it was a lot of those reserves premiership players uh, all played senior footy uh, in the previous couple of years. And a few that came up through the juniors as well. So, Carpo, we'll just we'll touch on both your junior careers now. At Bell Park, you played all your footy right through the grades, or were you just sort of a bloke who wasn't super keen on his footy and and just ended up getting keen when he got to Bow and Eds? No, I started off in the old YMCA behind the Hurst Ovals there in um, sort of Bell Park, Hamlin Heights area, under 13s at Newtown, and then. So two years under 14s, under 16s, two years under 18s, and then two years of seniors slash reserves footy, which didn't result in any senior games. And yeah, just got to the point where I was needed a bit of a change. I was thinking about moving things, and yeah, just thought I'd uh, make the way down the coast and see what happened there. Uh, Bell Park at that time, Carpo were pretty strong, weren't they? Um... Boxer Nichols running around there at the time, was he? Boxer Nichols is still probably the greatest local footballer I've ever seen play. One of the toughest I've ever seen play. He used to actually cut his jumper short so people couldn't tackle him. And then he'd come off the ground with missing teeth and blood coming out of his face. And he'd be revving blokes up. And it was something back in that day that, you know, just made me spin out a little bit. But, um, yeah, yeah, Ray Sarsavik, I actually... I was going to say Sars. Game and um, Ray Sarsby kicked 14 goals, and Dunk said, Oh, what an effort. And I said, Oh, Ray's really done nothing today. And Dunk said, He's kicked 14 goals. And I said, Yeah, but all he did was lead Mark, special for Ray. Yeah, so you know, and Peter Burke and all the legends there too. Um, it was, yeah. a, it was a really good time, and I loved it. And my head's in '93, nice, who was you know, pretty good player in his own right. Who's that? Who's that, Carpe? He dropped out then. Hooker Renfrey, Troy. Oh, Troy yeah. Renfrey. Yeah. Yeah. As Mick Turner once said, can he play? When mm. he first turned up at the footy club, he said, I've got this bloke, Troy, Troy yeah, it was Renfrey. It's really funny because when well, we both got out, we went for our clearances on the same night and they gave Troy's immediately and they knocked me. They knocked you back. They saw your potential. Clearance. And I'm thinking, I'm just a twos player that sits on the bench for two quarters. So they're probably holding, holding on to me. They're holding that for more money, mate. And Frizy, we sort of get. 
the idea that you've your old man dragged you down when you were probably in your nappies. Um, but what about your footy? How did you how did you start your footy? Well, it, it goes back further than that because I'm the, the first born out of all my cousins. So the day I was born and my grandfather said, right, because he was the secretary of the club. Yep. So he went to the club that day and signed me up as a member. Wow. So basically, had had no not much choice in the uh, in the equation. Thank goodness. For a moment, I thought you were going to say you were conceived at the footy club. Well, well I probably was. Probably was too. At least in the caravan park. G'day, Alan. Hello, Judy. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's it's funny though, um, Adam. We were talking to Lonty last time, and um, Lonty mentioned when he came to Bowen Heads, a lot of the Ocean Grove kids, you know, travelled over, and I'm pretty sure it was Vern Fry that used to pick him up and drive him down there, wasn't it? Yeah, that's before my time. That's when the old man was a kid. But that's that's how passionate he was. He'd, he'd pick him up in Ocean Grove and drive him to Bowenix to make sure they were there. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, he was the manager of the park for years. Yeah, well, I remember that. I remember yes. him driving around in the ute. Yeah, yeah. So, so whenever the park complained about the noise the footy club was making, they'd go, I want to see the manager. And they'd say, yeah, he's over there at the bar. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. Or the the, uh, the the manager of the Park Trust would go and speak to the secretary of the football club, who was the same, same person. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, I, I come up and played all my juniors um, all the way through at Bowen Heads, um, 15s, 18s. But back then, as um, Teddy, you and Nipper would, uh, know, that we didn't have many players. So you, you played, I played two games of football, I think, every single day of my junior career, except for maybe the first year of under-15s when I was only a, a, like a little tacker. But after that, if you played under-15s, you played under-15s and under-18s. If you played under-18s, you played under-18s and resis. Um, I was playing under-18s and seniors for a while there. Um, yeah, and then just come through. And 93 was at a, a time where um, self and Greg Luke, who played in 93 as well, had, had come through the, the juniors. And um, the club was bringing a whole lot of players in. And, you know, as you were saying, Teddy, there was a few guys who were playing before that that probably wouldn't have made uh, that side. But luckily for Greg and myself, we were sort of managed to get ourselves a spot in that team and, and hold on to it for the year. How old, how old were you then in that premiership team? I was 20. So you'd so already had, you'd had a season of senior footy before that? Yes. So, I've, well, I've actually got – so 91 and 92, I won the reserves best and fairest. In 91, I was still under 18s. And in 1990, when I think Eka was coaching, I was playing under 18s in the morning and then I'd watch the first half of the resis and then go inside and put a different jumper on and then go out and play seniors in the afternoon. I remember playing at least a season with you before 93, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then I feel that Rezzy's guys got a bit dark because I was getting a game coming out of under 18s and already playing a game and then playing in the seniors and a few of the Rezzy's going, Eka was copping it left, right, centre, I think. I remember doing a similar thing when I was obviously under 18s and um, Johnny Dunn was the coach then. He wanted me to just play senior football and not any junior football, so I'd play under 18s and the runner would come out, they'd keep an eye on Dunny's car coming in the old, you know, the old front gate, you know, near the, near the pier sort of thing. And we'd see Dunny drive in from there. The runner would come out on the ground and grab me and say, off. And I'd run off and go straight into the rooms and get changed, put tracky pants on or shorts or whatever and a, and a jumper and uh, walk out standing. I'd be standing out the front when Dunny walked in. 
and he always thought I was one of the first senior players there watching the kids and all that sort of thing. You know, it just came off the off the ground. Yeah, but he always had the appearance of being a bloke that was really keen about getting into the footy on time, Nipper. Yeah. <laughs> can be deceiving. <laughs> Your first couple of senior seasons, pretty good. Not Like 91, 92, 90, up build. that was a big build-up, wasn't it, to 93? Yeah, well, 91, I was still under-18s. So I was playing under-18s in resis. Yep. And won the um, Resi's best and fairest, and then '92, and then at the start of '93, because um, that's when the players had started coming in. It was '91, '92, like the, the players Timmy Armstrong and these boys had started. Yeah, we played, of, we played you know, finals in '92. So they, yeah, so they'd started coming down. So at the end of '92, I went up to Mick Turner and said, "Mate, I've won two Resi's best and fairest two years in a row. I think it's time you give me a crack in the ones." And um, he goes, "Oh," and so I said, "Mate, if you're not going to let me play ones." I'll go somewhere else and play once because I want to play once football. That's what I'm here for. Um, and he said, no, 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 hang on, you know, and then sort of gave me a few things that I need to work on and managed to get me sort of spot in the side and down in my back pocket looking after it. Back then, they didn't rotate off the bench, obviously. The Rovers used to rest in the forward pocket. So I always, always pick up the rested Rover and got an exit Timmy Armstrong. And how does, how does the old saying go, Nipper? Like father, like son. Exactly, exactly. Although, you know those people that tough it's either toughness or stupidity and the line's very fine. Adam was tough. <laughs> His old man was stupid. <laughs> very fine line, and some people might not agree with that, but I saw Adam handball quite a lot. <laughs> quite a lot. Alan I I don't think Alan knew how to handball. So I did see him handball once. He uh, somebody kicked the goal and he picked it up from the fence and handballed it to the boundary umpire. <laughs> the only time ever. We'll we'll go to Carpo in a second, but we always we always like to do. What number did you wear? Do you remember all the numbers you wore? I know you you wore one for a long long time, but what number did you wear? So I had number two. Um, I originally got number two to start with in under fifteens because my second year of under fifteens, everyone was arguing over who was going to get number one. And I said, oh, will just give me number two. And then it just stuck. I had it all the way through. And then when I got up to playing seniors, a certain um, person that used to wear number two called um, Russell Nipper Highland had apparently retired from football and didn't need his jumper anymore. And uh, they handed over to him. He said, well, you've been number two for all these years. You can jump yeah. it because Nipper's not playing this year. And then I reckon he got a bit of a sniff of a flag and all of a sudden showed up in a blaze of glory, did what he did. But, yeah, unfortunately for Nipper, but fortunately for me, I got my number two back. Yeah, I retired for half a season, came back from wearing number two to number 47. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's higher numbers than 47, isn't there, Carpo? Yeah, there is, Teddy. Um Basically, first jumper thing we had is was wasn't no presentations and no. fan like the, the new the days now. It's um basically they chuck a, chuck a bunch of jumpers onto the ground and went go for your life, pick your numbers, and I didn't know. So because I'd come from Bell Park and the two years that I was in the under 18s, I'd captain and I had number one, so I went with number one. Um, Dave Gubbins nearly punched me in the face, <laughs> so I went I'll go number two. Adam Price said go away in a nice way because that's my jumper. So I just dug down until I got to number 50 
And that's what has stuck with for me all footy career at Bayonets. Did you play the, your whole career in number 50? Yep. That's magnificent. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. And you and you were part of a a very famous duo called the IQ Twins with another bloke called Jamie Behrens, who was, I think, number 51, wasn't he? Jamie Behrens was number 51, Teddy, yes. But I never had to tattoo my nickname on my own arm. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I reckon the great the great man Dennis Finn gave you that, that you two that nickname. I might be wrong, but it seems like something that Finney would do. Oh yeah, Dennis Finn. Yes. There's another whole episode right there. Yeah, I know. And- hey, hey, Adam, um, you were mentioned about wearing number two and stole it off me. Do you know what number your uncle Johnny wore? No, I have no idea. I've heard a lot of stories about Johnny, but there's got nothing to do with his number. Oh, he wore number two. He did. Well, didn't you get it off Phil Grinter? I did get it off Phil Grinter. But previously I wore number three and I didn't go to pre-season, so Woody stole that off me. (laughs) That was um, maybe maybe the reason why I probably should have done pre-season a bit more often. I could have got the number I wanted. That's what you get when you show up late in the season, mate. Yeah, I had more numbers than Bobby Slack. I mean, Bob Marley. And Carpo, how many years did you play till? When did you stop? Good question, Teddy. No, have you stopped? My first, have my you first stopped? Coach was <laughs> and my last coach was Ben Patrick and Matt Kershaw. So I reckon I, I've worked it out at some stage. I had about nine senior coaches. Fair number. You better tell us who your best one was. Oh, there's been some good ones. I loved Hildo. I loved Wappy. You were my, sort of my first coach, Teddy, so you were all right. Yeah, but I was only I was only the reserves coach. I was only the coach on Saturday. I, was, a, I didn't coach the club. Yeah, I know. But when I when I speak about coaches a lot, I'm talking about the ones that coach me in the reserves mainly. Yes. <laughs> don't, don't pump his tyres up, Carpo. Well, no, well didn't, didn't you coach the reserves at one stage? No, I never coached the reserves. Oh, no. okay. I, I captained the reserves a lot. I yes. probably did so for seven, seven odd years with some really great co-coaches like Brendan Bryce and Dylan Smith. Yeah, but, look, I love Polly. Jason Polly as a coach and love Clarky. He was fantastic. Senior coaches-wise, weird ones. Ian Aiken was probably the weirdest one. He had some great stories and... Um, but one of my favourite all-time senior coaches had to be Mel Gent. He, um, he was the most gentlest bloke in the world. But when you were doing the wrong thing and he'd give you a spray and the veins started popping out of his neck, you knew you were in strife. Oh. Well, we used to have a coach. I'll come to you, Adam, about that. But Nipper will, Nipper will back me up on this. We used to have a coach who, when he gave you a spray, he actually gave you a spray. I reckon I used to get a spray from a couple of coaches. One of them was um, Eric Wilson, and the other one you've got me on. Shane Poulter. It was actually it actually could he could expel expectorant for about thirty meters when he was given when I, he was on his best game. I don't reckon I got a spray from Fez. No, like you probably didn't get a spray from him. But if you were standing anywhere near anyone else who did, you copped it too. You know why I didn't get a spray from him? I used to kick it to him. <laughs> he's a good player. I was talking to him the other day. He's good player. Yeah. He'd be he'd be, a, he'd be a good candidate for the tree on the wing. He'd have a few good stories to tell, Fez. 
played would. some pretty good footy at three clubs in the Ballerine. Yes, mm. yes. At a stint in Queensland. Yeah. yeah. I think he played in Darwin too, didn't he? He might have too. He, he told me that he works for the Queenscliff Council, but he's just he's just been on that until something better comes along. He's been doing it for <laughs> 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> just on until something else comes along. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and Fryzy, your favourite coach? Um, well, my favourite coach would have to be Higo, '93 coach. The uh, some of the training and, and the what he taught sort of taught us in that year because obviously growing up before that we were struggling and you know coaches were, were doing their best, but I think Higo was the first coach that come along that actually had a game plan, had a player plan, knew what he wanted, and you know and and got it all together, but. I've got to say the most interesting coaches I've ever had was one year of under-18s when we were coached by Cat Donnell and Stubby Ryan. Oh, oh my grief. Mike <laughs> <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Uh, uh, I don't know how much coaching was going on, but there was a whole lot of, see that bloke over there, you need to fix him up because he just got rid of that bloke over there. <laughs> was, was Stubby playing coach then? No, <laughs> he wishes no. He was he was playing in that. Well, he was showing up to the resis anyway at that stage, and he, he he did he did play a little bit of under eighteen football when I was younger when he um, drove his car to the ground and he didn't have feed plates on. <laughs> yeah, so that was a that was a uh, a very interesting year to be coached, especially in, in under 18s football too. So they're coaching all the under eighteen boys. They were in charge of us, and um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting year that year. Pretty hard probably to get get blokes who wanted to put their hand up to look after a motley bunch like you blokes. Yeah. God, take your hat off to those blokes. You know, you're in for a hiding, hiding to nothing. And um, but uh, obviously they, they did it. And they've obviously probably produced a couple of premiership players a couple of years later in you and Greg Luke. Well, this is true because Greg was always in the same sort of um, year as me. But we used to, at that stage, we were actually going around the caravan park, knocking on caravans, grabbing like kids that were down from Melbourne on holidays and asking if they wanted to come over and have a go of footy with us. Yeah. And, you know, we got quite a few players. And then we had blokes that were coming down from Melbourne to their parents' caravan just so they could come and play footy on the weekend like with us. And they knew they were going to get flogged by 20 goals, but they just didn't care. Just come out kick and run around and laugh and giggle and have a good time. Adam, did you play with Shane Farry? Mate, did I play with Shane Farry? I got Shane Farry to come over to the club. He's probably he's on my list of one of the best footballers I've ever seen play the game. Was he Absolutely good? unbelievable. He was he terrific, was awesome. wasn't he? Yeah. Well, he's one of the only blokes I've ever seen when you run up to a ball and you reach down and you try and scoop under the ball, you know, pick it up on the run. He used to run and hit it on the top of the ball like a basketball. So run past it and tap it on the bottom of the ball and it'll flip up and do a couple of loops and straight into his hand at full belt. I've never seen anyone ever like achieve it before. He had his opportunity in Geelong. Yeah. And the night before we were, because I was in there with him and Greg Luke were playing an all-star squad for Geelong. The night before the game, he went walkabout, never seen him again. Really? Yeah. Just disappeared yeah. And, and was, you know, he had the potential to play AFL every day of the week. I remember a game of footy once, and he, he was playing. Seeing you going to footy, he was playing. And there was a pack, and the ball was just sort of, you know, wobbling around in the middle of the pack, and no one was grabbing it, and no one was knocking it out. And he put his foot into the pack and put his foot on top of the ball, 
and rolled it out between someone's leg and just picked it up and ran off. And all, I was just standing there going, what's going on here? And just the, the ability to be able to think outside the square, do things, and pull them off, he was a freak. Yeah, yeah. I was him run around the boundary one day and a bloke managed to corner him into the boundary. And instead of trying to get around the bloke, he actually handballed the ball to the bloke and then tackled him. And then was calling for holding the ball off the umpire. <laughs> yes. Super, super talented. Oh, one, of the, uh, one of the most talented blokes I've ever seen on the footy field, Bowen, easily. Yeah. And Carpo, you talked us through your your favourite player at uh, at Bell Park, but what about at Bowen Heads? Who's the best player you've seen at Bowen Heads? No, definitely oh, Peter White. What about Whitey struck you, mate? I, I, I get where you're coming from, but just explain to our listeners. His skills in all were amazing. Um, I learned how to mark first grab because of him, because if you didn't mark it, it broke your nose. Yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah, fast yeah. and low is coming at you. I loved a bit of rough play on the ground, so I, I like doing a bit of a hip and shoulder here and there. And But I had to run from 100 metres away to get my pace up. What he could do it in three steps. Three steps, and, yep. Yeah, and, and basically take a bloke out. Yep. In a fair way, yep. like back in the day, in a fair way. Um, just, he just had a presence. He used to take little steps like Freddie Flintstone. Like when it once he got going and he, yep, he lengthened stride, but in those first couple of steps when he was going to hit someone, or when the ball was around him on the deck, especially he, he had this ability to just take little steps like Freddie Flintstone. So as he, it's almost like it's a way of keeping your head still, so as you could get hold of the footy and he oh. And then once he got hold of it, he didn't waste it, did he ever? No, it was um, unfortunately when he went to my most hated local club, amateurs. Um, he went there for a couple of years after Barnheads for a while and he was he got paid a good dollar. He was doing well. Um, we played against him and um, Toddy Duncan, who I love playing footy with, grabbed the ball and was running and Whitey did his two steps and could have put Toddy into hospital and basically went, sort of fell down in the pack. The umpire's called, you know, holding the ball, blah, blah, blah. And Whitey's turned around and said, you know what I could have done? And Toddy went, thank you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, even after he left Barnheads, there was a little bit of respect because, you know, he, he played with some some of us and he, he respected most of us. So he was a good bloke. But, yeah, he's the most sublime, skilled player I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's an obvious reason why he played AFL football and um, – and look, I don't reckon Whitey would mind me saying this. If he was a little bit more dedicated, he could probably um, have gone a lot further in AFL. But he has told me personally that when he was Brisbane Bears, that he didn't like the beach runs. Him and Alex Ishenko were not too keen on that. And um, Robert Walls didn't take too fondly of their attitude to running. So uh, he didn't last yeah. too long up there at all. But um yeah, great skills and, and his ability to read the play was just just amazing, amazing play. Yeah. Well, when Peter White first came to the club, he said to me, of like, and, and this surprised me because of the way that I like to play my football, but he said to me, guys like you, you've got the skill, you're able to get the ball, but you know what? I don't think you've got enough shit about you. And I sort of thought, well, I reckon I'm having a fair crack the, the way I'm going, but like, if you reckon that I need to like front up a little bit more, then yeah, I took it on board. But yeah, that was one of the one of the 
his words of advice and 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 shit wasn't the word that he used it was uh, the other yeah, one I thought was I might see you next Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and he used he used to say that a bit and like and he had a bit of it about him too, didn't he? And that that was what made us pretty good in in those years when we were we were okay. That we we had blokes who were they just did have a little bit of ruthlessness about them, and we were ruthless. No ruth, no ruth in the side. Yes, no, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so years go by, Carpo. Do you know how many games you played? Um, no, I'm not quite sure. I, I used to have a few stats like that I'd save up myself. And I think I've roughly worked out that I was on about 196 or something like that. Oh, really? So around there, if I had known that, I probably would have cracked on for another six months. But um, yeah, but, but yeah, no sort of official that. But if you had got the 200, all you would have got was a life membership, and you got it anyway. Yeah, this is true. It's not a life membership. It's 10 years meritorious service or 200 senior games. That's sort of the the rough, yeah, you know, ideal of what one deserves and at the time and I'd done the 10 years I was on the committee I'd you know like everyone did back in back in the day we had you know we'd have meals and there'd be five people you know we'd have senior training there'd be three we were lucky at some stage but we had a real really really hard rough patch and there was no one doing sort of anything so everyone wives and kids would trying out and just trying to help out around the club, cleaning, doing everything they could. So, you know, I sort of feel undeserved a little bit, but I'm still proud to be a life member. Um, you know, I'd love to be a life member of 50 years service and played 300 games like, you know, some of the legends like Triple Peace and obviously um, Adam's dad and all those legends. But um, I suppose still in the, at the same way, it's, it's great to be part of, the club and be recognised. Yeah, go through the hard times or I reckon it's always harder. Mate, don't talk yourself down. You deserve it. In times when the club was really looking for someone to stand up, you stood up. You had no reason to other than the, you love the place. So you look up on that board and you say, I deserve that because you bloody will do. And, you know, there's no one up there on those boards that don't don't deserve it. And you say, for 10 years, and, and you've, you've given the club a lot more even after that your life membership. I think you've done a fantastic job. No, thanks, Teddy. That's very nice of you. Thanks very much. Well, the other bloke you're talking to has done a fair bit too. Don't worry about that. Yeah, no worries. Somebody needs to maybe pull their finger out there then. Adam, your your playing career, we'll, we'll talk about how you finished. I think we've had a conversation about how you finished your playing career, but you want to run us through it because it's always interesting to know how and why a bloke stopped playing for the club. Well, we, um, people that remember back, bought the Bar and Cafe in Bowen Heads. Uh, once I did that, I sort of was struggling to be able to, to get to, you know, I was working every Saturday and working at nights and it was sort of hard. I came back after that and the bloke that bought the shop, I think, was Mick Aitken. I'm not sure. I think that's his name. Anyway, he was coaching the football club. Um, and after not playing for a while, I come come back and I started probably three or four weeks before the season started and said, look, I'm not sure if I want to play or not. You know, I'm not sure how the body's going to handle because I think I was 34 or something at the time. But I'll have a run around and do a bit of training and, and we'll see how we go. So you're trying to make a comeback. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd played a few years before that and then I'd had sort of one year off and then thought, well, now that we've sold the shop, I want to come back. I reckon I can get another couple of years. You know, I just run around in the resis, getting a kick, you know, 
try and get your, get a goal, get your name in the paper, which for a backline players, you know, it's a long way up to the forward line. But, yeah, and Mick, um, after about, I think, trained for about eight, nine weeks, and we're playing Ocean Grove, and we had a, um, a few young blokes playing, and um, Crackers was actually coaching the resis at that stage. Yep. And we're saying to me, look, you know, I reckon we might get you to play against Grove because we know that you'll love to play against Grove. We've got the kids and, you know, you'll help them out. And um, then come down on the Thursday night, I'm down on the ground. And he come out and said, look, I've just spoken to the committee and um, they've asked me to come out and tell you that you're not going to play against Ocean Grove and you're probably not going to play for the rest of the year. And I said, well, I had a few choice words to say. I said, how come you're talking to me? And he said, they sent me out because they figured I was the one you were less going for thumb. Who was that? Mick Atkins. Yeah, yeah. And then it happened that after that, there was a sponsor's day where they had the golf at 13th Beach and the old man was playing. And then so uh, the old man run into Mick Atkins and they've like introduced him as a senior coach and did he cop it? Oh, oh. <laughs> the old man. Well, you know, after years and years of bleeding for the club, I just wanted to spend my last couple of years having a kick in the resis if I could, you know, even running off the bench. I used to call it being an impact player. and start on the bench, go on the ground five minutes and then go and sit back on the bench again. The club wasn't setting the world on fire at that in that time either, were they? No, no, not really. I figured that I was pretty much capable of getting a game yeah. in the resis because the year before I'd shown up um, about three games in and they were playing Newcomb and they said the same thing. Oh, we're playing Newcomb. Can you play in the resis? And I said, oh, yeah. You know, I haven't done any training. And I said, oh, we've got a few kids, you know. And I said, well, don't play me out of the middle. You'll play me off the bench. So I'm sitting on the bench with a couple of young kids and I said, when I get on the ground, I'm going to kick a goal just to prove that I played today and get my name in the paper. Mm-hmm. And they finally put me on the ground on the half-four flank. I thought, oh, I'm half a chance here. And a couple of minutes in, and I've managed to, like, swing past, dob a goal. And I've, it was at Newcomb. I've kicked the goal, run over to the bench, and said, take that number down. Take that number, A fry, one goal, put that in the paper. Mm-hmm. And I uh, got a second one a couple of minutes later, and the runners come in. And he goes, oh, you can come into the centre of the ground. You're on fire. I said, I'll die. He goes, no, 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 you'll be right. I reckon that lasted about three minutes. And I called the runner out and he goes, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, I'm rooted. Get me off. And he goes, no, no, no. Are you hurt? And I said, no. And he goes, what's wrong with you? I said, see the bloke I'm on. When he runs off over there to get the ball, I'm just going to sit here and talk to you because I'm rooted. You need to get me off the ground. I've done no preseason and just come straight into it like the first game of the year. And Neron killed me. What number did you wear that day? Spot number. Oh, no idea. Oh, like okay. 40, so you... 45 or 46 or like, that's why I had to run over. That's was why I had to run over and tell them to, to write me number down. <laughs> I didn't know, what, know it was. what number was. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. And Carpo? Carpo, how did it end for you, mate? How did it end for me? Yep. It was a Thursday night training. Basically, we're in a drill. We're about to run off. Four hats up each end and just do the, the chaos thing. And I made one step and my calf tore and I walked off. Clarky was the reserves coach at the time. And he goes, calf, I go, yep. And went home. That was it. Yeah. Ended. It was, they called it the old man's injury at the time. You would have got sympathy from Clarky, I'm sure. He would have laughed at you. He stuck to work, I think, Teddy. Because <laughs> I'd retired. I had a year off and I'd come back, so... Yeah, it's it is the old man's injury, and James Heard did it on the same weekend, Teddy. Oh, really? Do, doing your calf is God's way of telling you football's not for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'd, I'd tell my calf walking down to get the paper one day. <laughs> that was about... It's not was, hard to do. It's really not hard to do. That was about four years after I retired. <laughs> well, thank God for that. We'll leave our chat with the boys there, I think, as we've dealt with their playing careers and their introduction to the club. In part two, we chat with the lads about their time at the club post-playing days and about their feelings for what goes on up on the hill. Thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you in episode two. Pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It though. could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away! Hey, boy!